0: to see you all. Uh, we had a wonderful Christmas. Uh, lots of family time and uh, lots of food uh, and more family time and games and stuff. So I'm all peopled out. So, but I am here and I really mean it that it's special to be with you. But it was a lot of, a lot of people. Uh, <coughs> what we're going to be looking at today is uh, we're going to be having our our, kind of our Vision Sunday. We want to be able to cast a a vision for this coming year. What is God saying to us? And I really love this Sunday for a very particular reason that I just get to pray for you and ask God, what is he saying to us as a community? And uh, I mean, at one point, it's, it's kind of unremarkable because he says the same thing to us every year, and it's to multiply disciples who love God one another in the world. Uh, That hasn't changed because we're not done yet. Uh, God's still working in our hearts. He still wants us to be able to love and serve others. And so that becomes our ongoing thing, and we don't really want it to change because it's at the center of the Bible and of God's will for our lives. But there is a particular part of that that I think that we're to be emphasizing this year. And uh, it's the first part of Matthew 22. It says, To love the Lord your God with all your heart, and with all your soul and with all your mind. And we want to focus on the heart part of that, I think, for this year. Um, It's a little bit hard to kind of separate out when it says to love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul and with all your mind. It's kind of like love God with all that is within you. Uh, But there are ways to kind of pull these three words apart and they each have a particular meaning. The idea of soul is kind of the... It's a summary statement. It's the broadest term to describe your interior world. But it's kind of amoral. It's just kind of all that goes on in there. Uh, The mind, a little bit more obvious. It's about our thoughts. But it's not just that our minds are hard drives that collect facts. It's that we're to love God with our beliefs and our convictions. Now, when it comes to the heart part of our inside self, uh, there's this quote that I found really helpful. It says, the heart is the source of our motives, the seat of our passions, the center of thought processes, and the spring of conscience. I really like that. That if you're to kind of summarize what our heart is, is our heart is the thing that motivates us to do stuff. That's what's going on. In in Proverbs 4.23, it says um, that everything you do flows from your heart. So if you want to know what motivates you, what drives you to do what you do, it's coming from your heart. It just doesn't come from your mind or from your emotions. Your heart is that internal motivation that causes you to behave the way that you behave. Now here's what's interesting to me. Uh, When we think of our heart, our our emotions, our desires, our affections, whatever kind of word we want to use, the world seems to uh, describe that as um, an untouchable set of desires. So there's just certain things that you were born with, certain things that you're interested in, and your, your life pursuit is to discover what your innate desires are, and then to be able to live the rest of your life acting on those. And if you're to do anything that kind of betrays those innate desires, you're insincere. And it's almost described as sinful if you aren't allowed to give full expression to all that's within your heart. Now, the problem with that, of course, I think it's obvious, but the problem with that is that not everything in our heart is worthy to express. Um, you know, they do research on such things, innate desires and I was listening to one professor that says that, um, that about 2-4% to 4% of the population has a propensity towards substance abuse. Now that can be activated through circumstances but if you were to talk to these people, for as long as they can remember, there's just been kind of an inclination to uh, to be an addict. They didn't sign up for it. They didn't feel like they chose it. It's just kind of where they go. Not necessarily helpful or healthy, right? Uh, Worse yet, there's about the same percent of the population that would describe themselves as having an innate desire to be a pedophile, to have sex with children. We don't act on those desires. So it, it can't be true that simply because something is in our heart that it's worthy to be expressed. And so, what does it mean then to, to change our hearts? How do we go about doing that? Uh, this is, uh, I can't tell you how much I've been thinking about this. This is, uh, this is just an incredibly big deal that it's, it seems as though, uh, it's kind of the trump card that we play. That, uh, you know, God asks us to do this, this, and this, And then we'll say, I'd like to. Really, I would. I just don't feel like I can sincerely do that. It's not one of my desires. But don't worry. As soon as it becomes one of my desires, I'll be sure to get on to that. But until that happens, I'm just going to kind of wait and hope that my heart changes so that I can be sincere in doing the things that God calls me to do. But I think the Bible tells us That there's ways to actually change our heart. There's ways to create space for God to do what only he can do, and that is give us new hearts. So how does that happen? Um, Imagine our hearts as being fed by various affections or loves. And that these loves then fill our hearts. So let me just, just give you some examples of this. In Matthew 6.21, it says that out of the... Uh, that Oh, I just lost it. It's about where your heart is, there is uh, your treasure is also. No, where your treasure is, there is your heart also. So uh, the treasure is talking about money. So if I have an affection toward, uh, toward money, I think about it, I dream about it, you know, I'd like more, and, uh, but don't worry, I'll give some away. But uh, but I just—if that's where my affection is, I feed on that. That then changes my heart, and it becomes my motivation for life. So then, uh, the way that you make decisions in life is what's going to make me more money, or how can I save more money, or how can I spend the money. But as you fill your heart with the desire of money, it then becomes something that motivates you and how you live your life something that may be uh, hard for people to admit would be the area of music. Uh, If I was to ask you, you know, what band, you know, do you like? That's an affection statement. Now, I mean, you're not going to like this. (laughs) But I think, uh, okay, I listen, I don't listen to lots of, types of music that I really enjoy. You know, I'm old, right? So I, 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 I grew up, <laughs> it's hard to say it out loud, anyways, I grew up uh, listening to, uh, to ACDC. It was just, I had a, I had a great car, and uh, when I wanted to go fast, you just put on ACDC and it really helps. <laughs> and uh, <laughs> I did lose my license, unfortunately, <laughs> but it was all ACDC's fault. But, uh, But here's the thing, is that uh, if I was to ask you about the music that you listen to, you would describe it, I'm pretty sure, as a neutral experience. I like the music. But it's an affection. And as you feed your soul on that affection, do not deceive yourself. It affects your heart and your motives. It just does. You can say it doesn't, but I know it does because it affects my heart. And so the reason why I don't listen to things is not because I'm trying to be religious. That's the least thing I'm thinking about. I just feel weak. And if I feed on certain kinds of music, it's going to affect me in ways that don't go well for my relationship with God and my family and loving others. So what do you feed on in terms of music? You can actually feed on particular kinds of emotions. You can feed on bitterness. You can, uh, you can, uh, follow me now. I know this is hard to, but you can actually have an affection toward bitterness your heart can be drawn to it, that there's just a way that you approach life that you're you're quickly insulted and you harbor grudges. And as you feed on bitterness, it becomes a life motivation for you because everything that you do comes out of your heart. And as you feed on bitterness, that bitterness shapes you. And you might try to suppress it and try to control it in certain situations. But if you feed on something long enough, it's going to affect your heart. Netflix. You know what did you binge this uh, this holiday? Was that was that a neutral moment? I'm just it's just entertainment, Pastor Greg. Lighten up. We've just barely got into 2020. I was in that. I was in the, the Philippines um, in November, and a bunch of guys wanted to go and, and watch uh, The Joker, right? And, uh, and so I, I'm there, and I, I really like my friends, and so you know, it'd be really fun to, to go out with them. And in my spirit, I just knew I wasn't supposed to watch that movie. And so I said, You guys, I'll, I'll, I'll join you afterwards for appies or whatever it was, but I just, sorry, I'm just going to opt out of that. And so they come and talk to me afterwards. They says, Greg, you made a really good decision. That was a dark movie. I don't want to feast on that. I just don't want to feast on it. I I, I have a hard enough time as it is following Jesus without gorging myself on things that just don't build up my heart. Now, maybe you can handle that. And if you can, God bless you. I can't. I really can't. Uh, it affects me. I know it does. Some of you who are into uh, to health and fitness, uh, you really care about your diet. And you I don't know what you do. I I'm not, I'm not very good at that. But, uh, but you know you care about the kinds of things that have antioxidants or whatever, and how some things help you lose weight or whatever it is that you' you're interested in doing and just being healthier. That's great. Uh, could we pl- uh, pay as much attention to what comes into our hearts as we do with what comes into our bodies? Because, uh, because it's, it's, it's garbage in, garbage out. And I am asking you, as we begin 2020, to not think that you can gorge on whatever it is that you gorge on and that it's not gonna affect your heart and the decisions that you make. It just is, and we need to be honest about that. So as we feast on God, His love and His power radically change us. Ezekiel twenty six talks about uh, thirty six talks about us uh, being given a new heart. Romans five five says that that God pours His love into our hearts. First John four nineteen says that as, as we as uh, He loves us, we will love others, meaning that. As we fill ourselves with God we're able to be the kind of person that we want to be for those around us. Uh, God transforms our hearts as we feast on Him. But if you had way too much dinner at certain times uh, we I ate just way too much food last night. Uh, went out with one of our kids and and I ate a lot of food and uh and so I'm full and so if somebody comes along and says uh you know, here's a, here's a great dessert, I'd love to eat it, I just can't, I'm too full. And so I'm praying that in this, in this week of prayer and fasting that it will become a model for us, that we will not gorge ourselves on what the world offers to create space and hunger to feast on God and to find our sufficiency in Him. Uh, so here's what I, I hope would be true. So what does it mean to feast on God? What does it mean to to have our affection in Him and to to come to His dinner table? Well, we pray and we read our Bibles. But I think we do more than that. And I don't want to push the metaphor too far or else it gets really corny. But I I think that we feast on God all day long. That if we come into our workplace and there's somebody who's upsetting us, we could turn our desire toward trying to fix that Or we could first come to our Father and say, what are you doing in this moment? I wanna wanna saturate myself in you. I wanna surrender myself to you. I want my desire to be about you. And only as I find myself in you can I then turn to my friend and respond appropriately. I need to work on my heart. And the way that I work on my heart is is I create space to fill my heart with you. Look, this is not rocket science. Being a Christian is not rocket science. It's filling your heart with what's good. And then when you have a good heart, Luke 6 tells us this, then out of our heart will come our actions. And so I'm praying that that this year would be a year that we would love God with all of our hearts. And that we wouldn't have this naive notion that we can fill ourselves with whatever we want and call ourselves Christians and then blame God when our life doesn't go well or when we feel irrelevant or fruitless. But that we'll be able to say, no, this is actually super logical. I've been feasting on whatever my natural impulses have desired. It's no wonder that I'm in the place that I'm in. And here's the point that I, oh, I hope you know this. Then we say, oh, wow, I feel guilty about that. And then we say, but I wish my heart would change so that I could do what I need to do. And God wants to tell you that you are always able to choose his dinner table. You are always able to choose feasting on him. I always think, when I think about this, I always think of the garrison demoniac who's running around naked, cutting himself and being a terror to everyone. Like, talk about demon possession. Yet, that man could still run to the Son of God for deliverance. We can always make a choice as to what we feast on and what we fill our hearts with. And so in a moment, you're able to say, what am I going to be feasting on? What my flesh desires or what my heart truly needs? So practically, I'm going to let Jonathan speak in a minute here, but practically for 2020, how will you feed your relationship with God, one another, and the world? And what will you fast from? We'll start it off really starkly with a week of prayer and fasting. But for this year, how are you going to fill your affections, churn your affections towards God, create space for Him? We have this, we have this notion that affections are, are, are described in always a Hollywood kind of way. And that affections just kind of come on you and you fall in love. I don't think that's true at all. And on our, our wedding day, I said to Debbie, it's uh, corny again, but it's your wedding, so you have to be a little corny. But I say to, I say to, I say to Debbie, that this is the day, and I fully loved her. This is the day I love you least. That I commit myself to love you more and more every day. That you can actually, you can actually grow affections. You can do that. They don't just spontaneously happen. Look, If you're addicted to pornography, you fed that. And the more you feed it, the more it's gonna define you. If you, substance abuse, you feed that. Feeling distant from God, you have fed that by participating in activities where God is not. And then when you really want him, you cry out to him, but he's a million miles away, and you blame him for that. That's not right. You set yourself up for that by what, what you filled your heart with. So I'm asking this year, prayerfully, that we would say, what are we going to feast on to grow our relationship with God, our relationship with our family? Jonathan's going to talk more about this in a minute in, in our relationship with the world. And what will you fast from? I'll close with this. Hebrews 3.12 says, See to it, brothers and sisters, that none of you has a sinful, unbelieving heart that turns away from the living God. Oh, how I pray for us. I pray for myself. This would be a year where we could focus on our hearts, not just cosmetic behaviors, but that we could focus on, God, change my heart. I want to feast on you. And so Jonathan's going to come and explain a few ways that we as a church community want to help you with that.
1: Thank you. That's perfect. Uh, We've been thinking a lot about uh, affections. And uh, how you build a church, which is what this is, FYI, um, around that as its objective. Like how do leaders or you or anyone build a community that fights for a depth of relationship that would be described as affection, like with God and with each other and with everyone who's not here. I find it very fascinating to be to have a vision that's built around the word affection, because it's very easy to build it around anything. But you could build it around <clears throat> what you gain, um, entertainment. Uh, there's a whole bunch of other benefits to just being part of things that doesn't actually have a ton to do with what your heart longs for and desires and. You would do something that costs you. And I, it's a, actually a very, very deep and meaningful and profound thing to be part of a church. I like to use the word spiritual family. Family, it's, it's about affection. And, and so I don't know if you thought about this. And so here's what's funny is, um, is you sometimes will have staff meetings or leader meetings or people who are in charge of uh, setting the table, as it were. You know, setting the table to feast on all that is good. It's another way of thinking about a church, It actually, is a group of people that's organized themselves to set up family dinners where you feast on all that's good. I mean, if it's a family, families eat dinner together. I mean, I don't want to make it too metaphorical here, but it really does work well. Like, what is a church if it isn't that? And so whoever's, you know, in charge or making decisions or is working with the budgets, or you're thinking about how to feed the family. That's how it goes. And so we spend a lot of time thinking about that. And maybe you do too. And so here's what I get to do is, is I, I want to just give, you know, I have nine minutes. I want to give you a couple of ways in which we'd like to set the table for you And you'll notice that a lot of it has to do with you helping with that. We don't really have a very top-down run church where it's like, oh, here, just come show up, bring a friend. You know, it's actually, and Nate said this a few weeks ago, which I thought was hilarious, that if you complain about something long enough in our church, we'll make you do it. (laughs) We'll make you fix it. So there'll be a little bit of that this morning. But the whole point is to work together as a family to set a table of what it looks like to feast on all that's good. So I find this kind of tension-filled because I I spend a lot of time thinking about practical stuff. You know, I'm the executive pastor, right? So I think about, um, I said this in the last service, but like I think about these things that are on stage. This is my favorite one. I pointed this out last service. This is called a shy baffle, okay? This is this, I don't know if you noticed, there's a little plastic thing here. And it reduces the volume of this symbol by 10%. That's what I think about. Isn't that arbitrary and random? But you know what's funny is as I think about shy baffles, these are expensive. They're like 200 bucks. Isn't that dumb? It's just plexiglass. And uh, 10% volume off the heartbeat symbol, Turkish made. You know, like I, I just think about this random, these random things. But the whole time, uh, sometimes I forget, but the whole time I'm going, okay, how are, we, how are we setting the table better for people to encounter God and to fall in love with him and to grow in that affection? And sometimes it seems a little strange, and there's logos and acronyms and evenings and all this stuff. We're just a family that's learning how to grow an affection for God and each other better. So here's the three tables. Here's how our family hopes to set a table to love God, love one another, and the world better. So a couple of things. The first one maybe is obvious. Um... A loving God, what are the things that we do? Well, it should be said that there's something about this morning and Sunday mornings that just can't be ignored. It's the thing we do the most often. We gather here together, but let me read, um, let me read uh, Hebrews 10, starting in verse 19. Listen to this. Therefore, brothers and sisters, since we have a confidence to enter the most holy place by the blood of Jesus, let us draw near to God with a sincere heart, and with the full assurance that faith brings, having our hearts sprinkled to cleanse us from a guilty conscience and having our bodies washed with pure water, let us hold unswervingly to the hope we profess, for he who promised is faithful. And let us consider how we may spur one another on to love and good deeds, not giving up meeting together as some are in the habit of doing, but encouraging one another and all the more as you see the day approaching. Can I just say that you, you really matter here? Not because you're filling a seat and it's slightly more encouraging to have one more person here. We're all agreeing together in our mutual affection and in our faith. And that's a really big deal. I don't know if you know this, but the, the church is built around worship, the word, and sacraments. That's what we're supposed to gather together and do. And we do it the most frequently because those are the ways that we know how to encounter God and grow in our affection for him as best as we can. And maybe it's been a while since you thought about church as a place to grow in your affection for God. It's very important to do that corporately, and it's very important to do some things that are actually quite routine and a little bit, uh, sometimes they just feel run-of-the-mill, but isn't that where relationships, like the depth of them are built? Like you think about family, the day in, day out of family dinner, yet again, the potatoes were a little, you know, mushy some days. Sometimes the steak's a little overcooked. It doesn't matter. <laughs> like, we're not thinking about that. If if, if 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 I get a text in our group chat from my parents and they say, you know, we're having dinner this time, this week, it's a family dinner. My first question is not, what are you cooking? Could you imagine? <laughs> but we do that with church all the time. Wow. No, we're all coming together because we're, it's deeper than that. So let's not forget church. Uh, secondly, a little more practically, let me read John John 8 verse 31 says this, to the Jews who had believed in him, Jesus said, if you hold to my teaching, and you really are my, disi- uh, you are really my disciples, then you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. Tara mentioned this a little while ago, um, uh, and this thing called the Freedom Retreat that we're putting on in here at the end of uh, January that we invite you to, it used to be part of courses, it used to be part of Kingdom Life Ministry School that was then called Multiply, but um, uh, now this is just open to the whole church, and all it is, is I love the idea that we're setting aside some time to encounter the Holy Spirit. And here's how that's a, a bit of a table moment for you to grow in your affection for God, is that we're going to be talking a lot about identity this weekend. And we're also going to be doing something called prayer ministry uh, and learning how to do prayer ministry on each other. And so there's a, this is a moment to come, to come away and go, is there anything separating me from knowing who God's made me to be? Is there sin in my life? Let me confess that. I need prayer for this. And we're going to come together and, and encounter God corporately. And pray for each other. Learn how to do that. Learn how to support one another. And so I encourage you to come to this weekend. It's $80. If money's the issue, please don't let that be the reason you don't come. Speak to somebody. It's up in Hope. It's this beautiful little location on a lake. We're opening up to the whole church to go, okay, let's come away and encounter God together. Receive the Holy Spirit. See if there would be anything that would be preventing me from knowing him closely. And my affection with him. Again, it's just it's just a table. It's just a table full of food for you. And we encourage you to come to family dinner. Okay, loving one another. What are some things we wanna do here? This one is, uh, so I, I don't, know, I don't know about you, but I make so many of my decisions in life uh, thinking about you guys. Not just ENV in some abstract sense. I mean really like individuals. I've been around for a long time and uh, maybe I'm cheating because I'm on staff or something. <laughs> Like, oh, I have to make decisions based on... I really mean this. Like, even if I didn't work at this church, I still make... uh, I don't know how to make decisions without processing it through a lot of relationships in this room. If I know you, I'm probably thinking about you. And a large... Like, in all of my life, like, this is my family. And so, what would it look like to have a level of affection in a spiritual family where... It would work itself into your decision making, where you lived, what you did. It's not saying that people don't ever leave or be sent places, I'm not saying that, but are you processing those decisions with us? Would you wanna do that? That'd be so fun. One of the best things ever is when people find homes, you get to send them places, instead of they drift away and you wonder how they're doing. You get to send them, it's the best ever. And so, uh, actually, uh, I, I thought of a story and, and a, few, uh, um, a few years ago, I used to uh, uh, run the youth group here, uh, once upon a time, and um, it was one of our last youth nights uh, before, Levi, before you going off to Trinity, and I don't know if you remember this moment, but you pulled me aside on our last youth night before you moved to, to Langley for a couple years, and he said, hey, Jonathan, I just want you to know something. I just want you to know that I know that this is my family, no matter where I go. Wow. I was blown away by that. I'll never forget that moment, man. And Yes, it's nice to know that Levi isn't going anywhere or whatever. It, it warmed my heart in that sense. But secondly, and probably more deeply and importantly, I thought about this young man who's going, he's, he's thinking about his life in a who sense, and he has a home, and he knows where he belongs, and he knows that he is loved here, and he knows that that's valuable and irreplaceable. And I remember thinking, you're going to be okay. You know, like you're going to be okay. I, I think we really underestimate that level of closeness and, and, and intimacy at church. Here's the problem is that we're all different. <laughs> I don't know if you've looked around in this room. There's a lot of nations, There's a lot of backgrounds. And so here's what's funny is when I start talking about having an affection for one another and making decisions based on where your church is, there's this little thing in my heart that comes up and it's like, oh, that sounds really weird and culty, doesn't it? It's like, oh, we're all gonna be the same, and we all have secret handshakes, and we all have the same T-shirts, and it's like becomes this weird homogeneous. Everyone's the same. Join us, you know. It's like this it gets really creepy. But here's what what's so fascinating about the way the church is built is it's 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 dependent on its diversity. Its unity is built on its difference, and it's and the fact that your your inclusion is built on a love and affection that transcend, transcends what you understand even. It transcends what makes sense and like, oh, everyone's the same and we're all the same and I get lots out of this. Well, if that happens, great. There's nothing wrong with that. But there's a depth to the connection that transcends how the same we are and how much it even benefits you at times. And there's a way deeper connection there. And so here's what's tricky is uh, how, do, how, do, how do we as a church set a table to grow in our affection for one another that champions that diversity And so let me read uh, 1 Corinthians uh, 12. It says, "The The eye cannot say to the hand, I don't need you. And the head cannot say to the feet, I don't need you. God has put the body together, giving great honor to the parts that lacked it, so that there should be no division in the body, but that its parts should have equal concern for each other. If one part suffers, every part suffers with it. If one part is honored, every part rejoices with it. And so everybody's got different gifts. And we're all called, every single one of you, called to build up the church, to build up this family with an affection with your individual unique gifts. It's not, oh, I'm unique and different, and that makes me separate. It's like, no, you're unique and different, and that makes you invaluable. So, so uh, now, now we're left with, okay, how do, we, how do we have that happen? And so, of course, this is why we have, try to have things be driven in our church by communities as opposed to Sunday services because we know that we can't multiply and grow without you. There, there's not enough people on staff or in leadership or have gone through the courses to somehow build something from the top. There's not enough of us. There's not. We have to do this together. And so here's our little stab. Here's our little, uh, you know, shy baffle, as it were. <laughs> here's our little thing that is incomplete, but it's a stab at trying to help all of us grow in our ability to build our family with our uniqueness. And um, uh, I'll read one more verse, and then I'll say what it is. So Christ himself gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the pastors, and teachers to equip his people for works of service so that the body of Christ may be built up until we all reach unity in the faith and in the knowledge of the Son of God and become mature, attaining to the whole measure of the fullness of Christ. That's the church. Look at that diversity. It's crazy. And so here's a little stab. We want to try something next year, and we're calling them five-fold focus groups. Now, it's not some crazy initiative that's going to take up all of your time. These will probably be two or three Saturdays a, a year, okay, to start off with. But out of the Freedom Retreat, we take a bunch of these, t- which you're invited to, the thing I mentioned earlier, the Freedom Retreat. One of the personality tests that we do is it kind of helps you identify which of those five you might be, the pastor, apostle, prophet, teacher, evangelist. Um, you might, you'll, you'll know at the end of that weekend what you have a propensity to award. Maybe you already do. What we'd like to do is two or three times a year put all of you that have one of those gifts in the same room. Led by someone who's been walking in that gift for a long time with the objective of growing in our ability to use those gifts to build up the body. To to build up your community. How cool would it be to have communities that would have five-fold giftings in their leadership? Like... uh, those would be such robust, beautiful places that could multiply. And almost they almost become mini churches and mini families. They're just microcosms of this room. And so here, what we're saying is, is uh, we really value the diversity in this room. And I think it's, it's, it's incumbent upon the leadership of this church to make sure that we have spaces to know how important you are in both building it up and growing in mutual affection for each other. Because I think those gifts were given to you Because God's going, look, I want to use you to build it. Love my people. Help me grow this thing. So the last one is loving the world. I mean, just read Matthew 18. Then Jesus came to them and said, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. And surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. Many of you know this thing. It's not changing. We just call it the DG Leaders Meeting. Here's all that it is as uh, a bunch of people come together every month who are trying to grow in their affection for the world that Jesus loves deeply and i feel as though it's good news to you to get in a room and go god would you would you break my heart for this world that you love and would you would you would you would you give me a piece of your heart of uh, and show me how I can help you be known in this world better. And yeah, I mean, we have some. We we end up chatting through how to run small groups well, and we try to support one another in the practical elements of what it looks like to share Jesus with people. The, the practical elements of it are helpful, but more importantly than that, um, I just when I when I think about what a what a what a what a, ch- a massive part of what the church needs to have in its um, in its DNA, is moments to come together and go, okay, let's let's be intentional about n- knowing that there's empty seats here. And if we're building this about, if, if, we're, if we're building our church based on an affection for God and for others, the natural byproduct, I find, is that as I grow closer to him, he, he keeps giving me pieces of his heart. And um, I'm, I'm kind of running out of time, but I'll, I'll just share you with, with this analogy. It's like, what is it, as a Picture yourself as a, as, a, as a mother or a father. If you are great, if you aren't, imagine so. How would you give your heart away to your kids for the things that you long for, for the things that you know aren't right, for the things that are broken, for the longings that you have? For the, you could use an analogy like maybe there's a family business you long for so-and-so to take over, but you know you can't make them. They have to want to. They have to be passionate about that product. They have to be passionate about that corner store that you built. You know? But how do you give away your heart for that? And so when I think about these sorts of meetings, I think about getting in the room and going, Lord, give me a piece of your heart because I want to know you, and I'm desperate for your kingdom to come. So when you hear these kinds of meetings and five-fold focus groups and DG leaders meetings and freedom retreats, and they're just shy baffles. Do you know what I'm saying? They're just, they're just tables. They're just attempts. But please hear, please hear that what we're doing together in this moment is we continually re-senting. like, God, change my heart and grow in my affection and let me feast on you. It's all I'm thinking about, and I hope that that's what comes through. So what we're going to do is we're going to remind ourselves right now of what this moment is about. And um, the communion team, you guys can hand it out. We're going to do full communion together, so they're going to pass that out. You guys can start doing that now. The worship team, you guys can come up and get ready, and I want to pray for you in this. But I would encourage you, if something's spoken to you this morning, like if there's been a, something in your heart that's like, God, I feel like you're getting my attention, uh, use this moment. Use this moment to encounter him. It's, it's, it, it can be special if you want. It can be special if you want. And so, Lord, we come before you as a family just longing to know you, longing to know you better. Longing to be given a piece of your heart, and I pray for every heart in this room that you would that you would grow that you would grow close that you would grow near that you would give us the ability to do that. And Father, I pray that any of these initiatives or things that are seen, I pray that your heart would be seen through them, and your desire to know us intimately would be seen through them. And God, I pray that you'd strip away anything that doesn't belong, anything that just feels like rote obedience or just duty, any of that stuff. God, no, we don't want that. We want to pursue your heart, and I thank you for the opportunity we have to do this together as a family. In Jesus' name, amen.